Well, good morning, Willow Park Church. It's great to be speaking. If you can grab your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. My name is Glenn, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to be able to share the Word of God, and we welcome you if you're watching online. We, we do have a lot of people who watch online, so it's uh, brilliant. We'll give you a welcome too. Nehemiah chapter 8. I want to jump right in. I need to give you a bit of a warning. I'm especially excited to preach this morning. I know I'm usually energetic, so... Buckle up, because this, this subject just I'm very, very passionate about. Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to jump right in, because we've got a lot of work to do. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Let's make sure my clicker's working. I tell you what, everybody in that tech booth, you do an amazing job, really. Can we give them a round of applause, because they are the hidden... <laughs> really. Without you, literally, we would look awful, and sound awful. So, uh, thank you. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people, 50,000 people, the previous chapter tells us, gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the law had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Let's just stop there. First thing that they do after finishing the walls is they call a Bible conference. They prioritize the Bible. I like that. 50,000 people gather to a hugely exciting uh, event that they basically read the Bible from early morning until midday. Now, just, just think about that. Some, some of you struggle with the next 35 minutes. Be like, how long has he been going now? Because lunch is on. Can you imagine if we just stood here for six hours and just read the Bible? 50,000 people. And not only that, they were attentive. So I'm going to be watching this morning. For those of you who aren't quite there for 35 minutes, attentively to the book of the law. I like that. Every preacher likes that. Verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Their highest priority was the word of God. Nehemiah gathered, Ezra read, they stood in reverence and celebration to the book of the law, the, the word of God. They had this respect for it. You see, they saw the Word of God as significant and powerful. And you know, today the Bible still evokes a lot of emotion, whether you're a Christian or whether you're on a spiritual journey and exploring Christianity or whether you're an out-and-out skeptic. It still evokes emotion. I challenge you this week to grab a Bible, it doesn't even have to be a big one, and, and put it onto your desk at work or in the coffee shop on the table. Just leave it there, maybe crack it open and read. It will immediately attract attention. People will start noticing. Some people will actually say something. It still is powerful, just the presence of the Word of God. 
And these people in Nehemiah's time, they, they had an, an, an immense respect for God. It evokes emotion today, and it's a huge stumbling block for many. Because upon this book, everything that we do as Christians, everything that we believe, the reason this church exists is founded in this book. And so we really, really need to make sure that we have it right, that we actually give it the respect and the awe that it truly deserves. In our culture, it's dismissed. In our culture, it's mocked. But you see, our culture dismisses the Bible in a way that history does not. Our society, because they've watched a three-minute video on YouTube, think that they know everything there is to know about the Bible, and it's filled with contradictions, and it's just nonsense. Whereas history would actually say, no, we cannot dismiss this. Let me just show you a few. I'm going to fly by very, very quickly, and I hope my clicker works. Let's just look at some of the people in history that not only made a significant impact on our culture and indeed the world, but they were Bible-believing people. There was no problem for them meshing science and Bible together. So let's start with Copernicus. Uh, He was an astronomer. And and how hipster is he? He was way, way ahead of his time. Sir Francis Bacon, the philosopher. Uh, We've got Kepler, mathematician and astronomer. We have, uh, and, and he's got chopsticks. No, I'm joking. They're not chopsticks. I think they're barbecue tongs. Uh, Galileo, the astronomer. We have um, uh, Descartes, the mathematician. We have Pascal, mathematician, physicist, inventor, writer, theologian. Look what Pascal said. Not only do we not know God except through Jesus Christ, we do not know ourselves except through Jesus Christ. We have Isaac Newton, the uh, optics and mechanics and mathematics. Already we can see that even though culture may dismiss this book, history does not. Faraday, physics, electricity and magnetism. Uh, Mandel, mathematician and genetics. A little bit closer to our time now. We have Kelvin, physics. Uh, We have Max Planck, quantum theory. We have modern-day Francis Collins, who is one of the leading scientists for the Human Genome Project, Christian. We have Lisa Meitner, nuclear fission. We have Andrew Pinson, who is one of the top scientists in the the CERN, uh, um, uh, the nuclear reactor. And then finally, we have Mike Hume, one of the leading climatologists in the world. You see, culture might dismiss the Bible, history does not. There is something powerful about the word of God that those Jewish people in Nehemiah's time recognized and stood in reverence for. And even now you can look back in history and you can't dismiss the Bible for the effect it's had on people's lives. And as a result of reading the Bible, you have health care for the masses, the people who started that. You have uh, the end of slavery with William Wilberforce. You can look at the modern day, uh, the workers' rights, the, uh, the, uh, the protection agencies. All these started from people who believed in the Bible. You see, our faith communities, if they were all to suddenly close overnight in Kelowna, if the churches were to close and all those agencies in just Kelowna who have a faith-based, Bible-believing mandate, if they were just to close overnight, think about the impact that that would have on the needy and the addicted and the abused in this city. The Bible cannot be dismissed. 
It has to be considered. And I want to encourage you this morning. I'm not going to beat you over the head with a 12-pound Bible that you can take out small buffalo with. I'm just going to gently but excitedly, admittedly, encourage you to consider the Bible. Christians, the Bible should be central in your walk. It is the most important thing that you can spend your time in because in it we believe are the very words of God. And if you are not a Christian, maybe you're just on a spiritual journey, I would encourage you, do not dismiss the Bible, because history does not. Spurgeon said this, defend the Bible, I would soon as defend a lion, unchain it, and it'll defend itself. I like that. You see, from the young to the elderly, there is still transformed lives. Transformed lives is what this church is about. That's what we want to see, and it's the Bible's legacy. It cannot be dismissed. No book has been as scrutinized or hotly debated as the Bible. Every verse has been broken apart and interrogated, if you like, and examined by unbiased historians and uh, and scholars. They are desperate to try and find contradictions and problems with the Bible. You see, we have this arrogant thinking in our culture that suddenly it's only us that have the intelligence to be able to look at the Bible and consider whether it's authentic or not. But please remember, for thousands of years, this thing has been picked apart by governments and by scholars and by historians desperate to try and undermine it because they, don't, they want to be able to proclaim to the world that it's nonsense, but it has stood the test of time. And those governments have long gone and the Bible is still with us, and it is still strong, it is still powerful. Some Christians get very upset when people question it, because your experience says, it's changed my life, it can change yours, but friends, can I gently encourage you, just because you have a wonderful experience based in the word of God, that may not be enough for somebody who may be a skeptic. You need to know why the Bible is authentic. You need to know, you need to study it, you need to dig into it, you need to be able to give a case for it while remembering what Spurgeon said, it will do what the Bible does. But you you need to be able to say, this is why I base my life upon the word of God. And so I actually believe that the Bible should be the most scrutinized book of all time. Because if the claims of the Bible are true, Does that not have an incredible impact on every life in this world? Because if the claims of this Bible are true, this is the inspired word of God. That this contains the ultimate truth in life. We cannot dismiss it. If there's a slight chance, those of you who are just trying to figure things through, if there's a slight chance that this Bible and its words that you find in it are true, then surely we should be dedicating our life to examining it and scrutinizing it and reading it and studying it. Because the implications, the implications of this being true because of the issues of life of death, of destiny and purpose are found in this book. We cannot ignore it. Friends, our culture might dismiss it. Christians, you cannot. Those who are actually genuinely on a faith journey, you cannot dismiss the Bible because history resonates and echoes with the legacy of transformed lives as a result of this book. 
We should read it. We should question it. We should study it. We should investigate its history. We should analyze its integrity. We should never, ever dismiss it, though. It has stood the test of time, and I believe it always will. But it's not me to convince you. I could give a really good case this morning as to why the Bible is authentic and right, but you can approach the Bible in a number of different ways. You can approach the Bible in a, in a, in a mindset of it's not true, there is no God, and you can read it in that lens, and you know, that, that's the kind of the cynical skeptic. Or you can approach the Bible in such a way with an open heart, even skeptical, but with an open heart that possibly there must be something in this that has created so many transformed lives. And so I want to encourage you this morning just to, just to put aside your assumptions. Christians, as you listen to this, be encouraged. In your hands, I hope, because it is church, you all brought your Bibles, right? Okay, it's going very quiet then, very non-charismatic. Yeah, no, no, I didn't. It's on my phone as you get rid of Facebook. And... But in your hands is the inspired word of God. It's not a gift. Is it central to your life? 40 authors, 66 books, 1,500 years, three different languages, different locations, and yet intricately and beautifully connected with one theme, and that theme's name is Jesus Christ. This book is not a manual for life. By saying that, we put ourselves as central. In the beginning, Glenn. No. In the beginning, God. This is God's love story to the world about Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament points to him. The New Testament proclaims him and celebrates him. It's about Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what this book is about. And all these authors and all these languages and all across all the years and different locations all points to Jesus with no, please hear me, no contradictions. Ah, but Glenn, there are contradictions because I watched that YouTube video, remember? Some spotty kid in front of their video told me there was lots of contradictions. So it must be true. Because everything on the internet is right and correct. Am I right? No, there are no contradictions because even just a slightly decent commentary will show you how this Bible has no contradictions. Now, please be assured, remember, this book is the most scrutinized book in history. And scholars and historians who I want to suggest, certainly in my case, far smarter than me, possibly smarter than some of you, I don't want to assume But they have scrutinized this and not found this book wanting. They have scrutinized it and not found contradictions. And these aren't Christians who are looking into it. These are people who have every uh, desire to find contradictions. I want to encourage you to research, not just to watch what culture says. Uh, Last month, uh, I, I heard about this story that I thought was an excellent illustration as to what I'm talking about, about the importance of equipping yourselves well and having the right attitude towards the Bible. Uh, it starts um, with, with two gentlemen, here they are on their boat, um, and a stellar vessel it is too, hey, Nora. Um, they, they decided that they would set off from Scandinavia. These two gentlemen are in their 70s, and they would set off from Scandinavia with the dream of sailing to America in Nora. And as you can see, this, this, is, this boat is, is really up to the challenge. 
Uh, now, there was a slight problem with, with the boat, and basically the problem, and I'm not being disrespectful, you can read about this, this just, just came out last month, and you can read it in reputable newspapers from, from Britain, and anything in Britain is, is true and right, so you can, uh, it's the accent, that's, that's what gives us the credibility. But uh, there was a slight problem, because, uh, well, let me show you. Between Scandinavia and Cornwall, they had to be rescued nine times. Now, when being interviewed about this, these two gentlemen assured us that only three of the times were life-threatening. Well, thank goodness for that. You clearly do know what you're doing. Because if the other six times were just not life-threatening, well, high five, you really, you really are stellar. So, and you can see some of the pictures there. And this is one of my favorite. This is where the propeller fell off. Yeah. Um, this is where the boat fell over. Because they didn't realize, apparently, that there is high tide and low tide. And they forgot to tie the mast to the dock. And they went to the pub, came back. And the tide had gone out and their boat had fallen over. But it doesn't stop there. Here they are. I think it's just such a great photo. I love that. Oh, dear. Um, but they, not only that, they set fire to the boat with a candle that they hadn't blown out properly, that they were using for navigation. Now, so, so here's the issue. Here's how it connects. I want to encourage you, please approach the Bible and don't have your experience ruined by lack of understanding and skill, just kind of blundering your way along, because what will happen is you'll soon have your experience of reading the Bible really adversely affected. I'm not saying you'll set fire to it, I hope. But you need to make sure you approach your journey in the appropriate manner. You need to make sure that you have the right, uh, the, the right um, books and the right commentaries. I'm not saying you necessarily need to have them all as Christian insights, but at least have the right things, not just YouTube. Because your experience will be adversely affected. 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls, or at least uh, a large part of them, were discovered. The Dead Sea Scrolls show that uh, these date back from anywhere between 500 BC and 1 AD. And these scrolls represent every Old Testament book. Now please understand, the Jewish canon was, was set by Jews for Jews, not for Christians. So the Jewish canon set by the historians, it was set. Jesus refers back to nearly every book in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament books that proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ were set by the Jewish historians. I love that. I love how God uses people. And it was set by the Jewish historians. And it is, uh, it is virtually identical to the manuscripts that we have used to get our translations from. The only mistakes that they found were spelling mistakes. And you can see one right there, if you look really carefully. Um, you probably already spotted that. The whole Old Testament points to Jesus and what he taught. The Old Testament was confirmed by Jewish historians and was confirmed by Jesus Christ himself. The New Testament was compiled. Uh, the canon was uh, certainly not finally confirmed, but was pretty much complete in 170 AD with the Muratorian canon. Each gospel was written. Please, if you hear that the gospels or the books in the New Testament were written hundreds of years later, that is not true. 
There are some books that have been written that say that they should be in the canon of the New Testament, but they were written hundreds of years later. The books that you have here were written between 30 and 60 years after Jesus' death. So there were still living witnesses that could point and go, that's not true. That didn't happen. But in fact, the New Testament writers have the confidence to actually point to many different witnesses. In fact, in Mark 15 verse 21, Mark encourages for people to actually go and talk to the guy who carried the cross of Jesus Christ. Now imagine if that guy had a lot of people knocking on his door. Did you carry the cross? No. Who? So he was so confident because of all these witnesses. Over 500 people saw the risen Christ. People who had every vested interest in contradicting these historical events. There is no historical record of any contradiction from any Pharisee or Sadducee or ruler. Anybody who didn't like Christianity, there's nothing. So that you can be confident that this book is authentic, historically accurate, and is not filled with contradictions. And as a Christian, I would say, friends, you hold in your hands the inspired word of the living God pointing to Jesus Christ and his good news. There is no, and this is not me saying this, this is well known, you can look this into yourself when it comes to the number of manuscripts and accuracy and early dating, there is no rival in the ancient world to this book In its 99.96%, they say, accurate from original manuscripts. Frederick Kenyon from the British Museum said this, The last foundation for any doubt that the scripture have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. Notice this last sentence. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finely established. And Frederick, I say a hearty amen to that. Because if the world can say that about the Bible, surely as Christians we can too. But Glenn... The biblical teaching of the Bible is so culturally outmoded and regressive. What about gender roles? What about its views on sex? What about slavery? What about polygamy? All these things that you find in the Bible. Can I say very, very quickly, a careful reading of those scriptures that are for some the biggest stumbling block and a basic commentary will show you that oftentimes they've been misinterpreted and not taught well. I want to encourage you to consider the major teachings first. The person, the work of Jesus Christ. You see, take gender roles, for example. You are going to get a myriad of different thoughts about how gender and the role of men and women in the family. You're going to get so many different views, even within Christendom. Different churches have different views. But one thing you will find that is a non-negotiable is Jesus Christ lived died, rose again, and is our Savior. Focus on that central teaching before digging in and having the other things as a stumbling block. Maybe as you look through his lens, you'll find that there's some surprises in what the Bible says. Perhaps you can't accept the Bible because of what it says about sexuality or gender roles. It's just like, Glenn, there's this verse, and I, I just can't, I can, th- this whole section, this, this teaching, I can't get over it. I, I can't believe in the Bible because of this. And I want to encourage you, look at Jesus. Look at what he says. Look at what the New Testament says. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I'd love to. But the big issues, the mega themes, 
on which issues of life and death and purpose and destiny, destiny hang, consider those. I really appreciate what Timothy Keller said. He says, are you saying that because you don't like what the Bible says about sex, that Jesus couldn't have been raised from the dead? You see, the, there's a wide gap, right? What about your eternal destiny? And do we honestly think, are we naive enough to think that we perhaps are exploring a God that is just going to agree with everything that you and I think? You know, well, this can't be right because I don't agree. I'm going to put it back on the shelf. That's an incredibly arrogant point of view. See, I serve a God that challenges me. I open the Bible and I don't read it, it reads me. Sometimes I close the Bible and I take a deep breath and I say, God, that, that's tough. That's a difficult scripture, Lord. But as you look at the big themes of the Bible, Jesus Christ, here's what I know. God, you are loving, you are kind, you are merciful. You are filled with grace. You know the alpha to the omega. You know every intricate part of the story of my life. You know how it all entwines, whether it be the reflection in the sea, you're part of that, or whether it be the largest things that happen in this world, you are part of that. And so if I can look through these scriptures that I don't understand through that lens, then I can be confident in you, and I can be confident in your plan. Because how arrogant it would be of me to say, no, that can't be right. And I've said this before, it'd be paramount saying, well, I've never been to Australia, therefore it cannot exist. I cannot visibly see electricity, so therefore it cannot... Oh, apparently it does. You know, we need to be careful in our approach to the Bible. In fact, we should stand like those early Jewish nation in honor because it's an affront and because it creates in our thinking a new paradigm. It transforms us. Because this Bible, even though we can look at history and culture and different things, ultimately this Bible changes and transforms lives. Really quickly, reading the Bible increases our faith. In Romans 10 verse 17 it says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Can I tell you, can I challenge you, that if you spent time every day reading this word, Christians, skeptics, friendly skeptics, not so friendly skeptics, you know, everybody in this room, if you just took the time, you'll find that this Bible will somehow start changing you. I love the stories of out and out, angry, atheists. I don't understand. And, and I, I don't understand why... Atheists are so angry at a God that they don't believe in. It always fascinates me. But I have read, this week I've read stories of out and out. Atheists are like, right, even though 2,000 years worth of scholars and theologians and historians have tried to prove this Bible wrong, I'm going to start the journey. I'm going to prove it wrong. And then within a few months they become Christians. Love it. There's power in the Bible. Increases faith. Because it introduces you to Jesus. Spurgeon is one of my heroes. C.S. Lewis is another one of my heroes. And I love the simplicity of the challenge that he gives when it comes to Jesus. He says, when you read the Bible, you have got to make a decision. Either Jesus is a liar and everything that he says is a lie. Or he's a lunatic and he just didn't know what he was talking. He was crazy. Or he's Lord. 
You can't land in between. You have to make a decision. And if he's Lord, that means what he said is not a lie, and we have to consider it. And what he said was, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you can only come to the Father through me. He said that, so you have to decide. Is that a lie? Is that lunacy? Or is that true? You have to come to that conclusion, and that's why the Bible increases faith, because it brings to those, to those crossroads where transformed lives happen. John 20, verse 31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ and the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Reading this book brings hope. Oh, am I gone too far? Okay, let's just go on about it. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Friends, have we ever needed more hope? than we need today. Where is your hope? We need Jesus Christ, the God of this scripture, because it gives us a hope. Gives us a hope that it all is going to be well because he has a story, he he has a plan. Otherwise, you are like those two dear, wonderful, and I actually admire them a little bit, gentlemen, sailing around in Nora. What happens when those waves in life come? Does your boat tip over? Do you set fire to everything? Or do you have a hope that is outside of yourselves because that's what the Bible brings. We need hope in our days. Reading the Bible brings freedom. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The words of this book will change your life. And there are people in this room, you need that. It will change your life in a way that the self-medication we give ourselves, like through alcohol or, or drugs or, or self-help books or anything that we're just trying to self-help, trying to fix ourselves, we suddenly find there is no freedom that. There's only freedom in Jesus Christ. And finally, reading the Bible brings wisdom. I could make this list. I could go on and on and on like any good preacher can of the benefits and the beauty of reading the Bible, but to know that we actually find in this scripture, in these books, the way to live our lives. So it tells me how I bring up my children, how to use my finances, how to run my business, how to speak, how to, uh, how to treat my neighbor, how to treat those people who uh, hate me. Every aspect of my life, you can find wisdom in these scriptures. This is not a spell book. This is not something that you just repeat this verse 17 times a day and stick it on your fridge, then God is going to give you lots of money. No. That's not true. And if you hear teachers saying something like that, switch them off. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes I just really need to feel like I want to get angry and I listen to some of that preaching. It's like, it's not right. This is not a mantra or a spell book. This is not just something we can kind of bash God with in the hope that he'll bless us. But in these pages is life. It introduces you to Jesus. It introduces you to his life, his death, and the way in which to live our lives. So here's the call to action as I come to an end. It's really, really profound, really difficult. You probably will need to write it down. Read your Bible. This week, read your Bible. Actually get it out. Don't spend more time trying to figure out what reading plan you're going to use than you actually do reading the Bible. I'll give you a reading plan. I'll show you it. That's your reading plan. 
just open it and read it. Because every verse points to Jesus in some way. Read the Bible. Friends, those of us who are Christians, read it, learn it, memorize it, speak it, sing it. Let it be part of your life because that is a gift from God to you. Friends who are on your spiritual journey and just not sure, read your Bible with an open heart. And you just might find in it you will be introduced to a living God. Cannot ignore that. Cannot dismiss that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm so grateful for your scripture. So grateful, Lord, for those people in history who have literally been martyred and given their lives so that we could have this book today. God, I'm so grateful that your promises is as we read it, we will find you. And so, Lord, I would, I would ask that you just speak to us now, Holy Spirit, that you would come convict us. Show us how we can make this part of our lives. But Lord, I pray that we would be continually a church of the book. We would be a people of the book. But Lord, we would run our businesses by the book. Our families by the book. That Lord, let this be something that we never let go of. Father, for those in the room who are still just trying to figure things through and just on their, their own beautiful journey, God, I pray that, you would, that they would be able to lay aside any assumptions and they would just crack open this book and that, Father, they would be amazed that they would not be able to dismiss it. So, Father, we give you all the honor. We give you all the glory. Thank you, God, for the way that you promised to speak to us in these pages, in our prayers. Bless you, Jesus. Amen.